0: Sight of the Lord or God in in transgression His covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the beasts, any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told to you, and you hear it, hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is indeed true and certain, and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel. Then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on this testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the wickedness shall be first against him to put him to death and afterwards the hands of all the people, so you shall put away the evil from among you. Okay,
1: so here's an example of judicial procedure, again focusing on idolatry. There's in one of your towns someone who does evil who transgresses the covenant by worshiping other gods or a heavenly body. What do you do in that case? Well, first of all, there's to be a detailed full investigation you're never supposed to just start throwing stones. First, you find out exactly what the facts are. Innocence is assumed until guilt is established. There was no execution based on hearsay or rumors. But if it's true, and, and based on the evidence of two or three witnesses, not just one, then this person was to be stoned, was to be put to death. And the witnesses were the first ones to start the stoning they would accept responsibility in that way for what happens. If the witnesses were lying, then they were adding murder to perjury as their sins, and it would be a deterrent. If, if they, for some reason, they're unwilling to cast the stone. Is it possible that their testimony was false, that they know it really isn't true, and that the person does not deserve to die? And the goal of this was not just to give the criminal what he's due, but to purge the evil from the midst of Israel. So this is just a kind of a case study of how the judicial system should work. Comments and questions about that? Yes.
2: My understanding is that the Israelites were allowed to take captives of certain countries. um, Outside of the countries they were to completely destroy. That is correct. if they took captive, would this apply to their enslaved the enslaved foreigners and Israelites or only the
1: free people? You're saying the law is about not worshiping the other gods. Good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I would assume it would apply to them, but I may be wrong. Somebody able to answer that better than I can. I'm not sure. Other thoughts or questions?
3: Okay, um, 8 to 13. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt or bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall rise, and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you. According to the judgment which they tell you, you, sh- you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God, or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear
1: and no longer act as You know, it's a pretty similar system to what we have. Perhaps our system is somewhat based on this. But you would have the idea of superior courts for difficult decisions. That when it's difficult to decide, then you would take it to the place that God chooses, to the higher court and have the decision made there. And when the verdict is given by the Levitical priest or by the judge, then they had to obey the verdict. And contempt of court was considered to be a capital offense. You could be punished by death if you refused to abide by the decision of the God-ordained courts. The idea is that this judicial system in Israel is a part of God's established rule and order for society and they should execute the rebellious man who refuses to abide by the decision of the court. And again, when they execute someone for that, it's sort of making an example out of him and causing others to realize that they don't want to be rebellious in that same way. Comments or questions? We move from the judge system, the judicial system, to the king which is kind of an interesting section for us in several ways, 14 to 20.
2: When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. of among your brothers you shall, you shall set as a king over you, you may, not, you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many courses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire any courses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excess gold, silver or gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, written by the Lord of And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and by doing them. That. that his heart may not be lifted above, up above his brothers, and that he, he may not turn aside <coughs> from the man, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue in his kingdom and he and his children in Israel.
1: Okay, so he has a number of provision about the king. Perhaps it's surprising for us that God has things in the law about kings. <coughs> But actually, God has anticipated that from long before the law. If you look at Genesis 17, for example. God told Abram, in verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And in 17, uh, 16, he says to Sarai, I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. and I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. There are a number of other passages prior to this passage, Deuteronomy, which indicate that God intended for the people at some point in time to have a king. And God has some rules and regulations about that king. First of all, it's to be one of their fellow citizens that was chosen by God. It's important that God be the one that choose the king. There are some rules about the behavior of kings. They were not supposed to multiply weapons, wealth, or women. Now, you might think, why else would you want to be a king? <laughs> you know, you're either trying to build up your power, or your status, or your self-gratifying possessions. You know, I mean, that's the reason people want to have power, isn't it? You know, you're looking out for yourself. So if it's not horses, women, and precious metals, What's in it for the king? Well, the idea of this kingship was an idea that was very different from the normal idea of a king. This would be a king who would lead for the sake of those being led. A king that was not out for power and prestige for himself, but a king that wanted to lead the people in the way of God. And to that end... He says that the king should actually write out for himself a personal copy of the law. Now, you can imagine a king actually himself writing this law. You know, that's going to impress the words of scripture on his mind more when he actually writes the copy for himself. Because God did not want the king to have the law as just sort of a good luck charm or just something that he archived. He wanted him to really know it and live it. Leaders of God's people today will will really give themselves to the word of God in every way. You think about those that God has asked to do special things among his people. Say elders. I believe that the biblical emphasis on the role of elders is that they are primarily teachers. They primarily instruct in the Word of God. That's the idea of being a pastor, a shepherd. A shepherd primarily provides food and drink for his sheep. And he also protects and other things. But especially, he arranges nourishment. And of course, the nourishment for us is the Word of God. And so, you have passages like 1 Peter 1 Timothy 5 they talk about the one who uh, rules well especially in, in the teaching and the doctrine it, it's, it's that that's the primary work of elders primary work of evangelists it, it's our primary work as Christians is to feed upon the word and impart it to others and so you can see that any leadership role among God's people the leaders must really know well the word and, and be able to pass the law. This is a situation where the king himself is not writing the law, he's under the law. So he is receiving the law, he's listening to it, and seeking to uh, apply it. The law would, would preserve the king from some of the typical mistakes that uh, governmental officials make. And so the king, to be chosen by God, he's not to multiply weapons, wealth, or women. And he's to write his own personal copy of the law, being humble enough to recognize that he needs to submit to God's law exactly in everything that he does. Now you think about his story. Remember when the people asked for a king? They asked for a king like the nations. And God gave them a king like the nations. Who was that? What was his number one quality for being king? Saul. Really deep spiritual quality. But it made him a good warrior. That's what they wanted. And uh, what was the result of the kingship of Saul? Weapons, women, and all. Yeah. Anyway, it was disastrous. And then God gave him a king that was after his own heart. Who was that? And how did that work out? Much better. That was more like the kind of king God wanted them to have. Then he gave them Solomon. And what did Solomon specialize in besides wisdom? Women Women and wealth and weapons. So he turned out to be a real disappointment, though he was good at first. Uh, you can really see how this passage <laughs> interplays with the actual kings of the United Kingdom. Comments and questions on all this. Yes? What do you think is the significance that
2: he had to copy it in the presence of the priests?
1: Perhaps the priests are overseeing the copying. I don't know. You know, they. you would think that, that the priests would be the ones who would kind of be the guardians of the law. Uh, somebody might know better than I do and answering you. Good question. Yes? As for wealth with Solomon, uh, God told him that God would give him wealth. Does that kind of make him not quite as responsible for acquiring all that wealth. wealth? or Well, how does that work? That's a very good question, man. There's a lot of questions with Solomon. Here's the problem I have with Solomon it's not that, you know, God gave him wealth, but what did he also do? Heavily tax the people all the forced labor. It looks to me like Solomon went way beyond the wealth God gave him. He had plenty to begin with with that, but he tried to accumulate other sources of wealth. So I think he ended up focusing on that wealth in in an improper way. There's a lot of debate about some of those issues with Solomon. Other thoughts and questions? Yes. That. We
0: see, you know, we always
3: talk about how Jesus kind of fulfilled the um, that prophet that Moses talked about in chapter 18. But he really fulfilled this king role as well. And, and as
1: you look at the qualities of that king, then Jesus really uh, hits, hits the whole ball on each other. Yeah, great point. Seth?
3: Do we have any examples of kings actually doing this that we know of in
1: the scripture? No, I don't know that I can point to a king, but I know he wrote out the law. I'm hoping some of them did. Some of them at least valued the law. Uh, perhaps we have some kings that were not so concerned about wealth and power and so forth. Josiah, especially from the passage in Jeremiah 22, where Jeremiah is condemning Jehoiakim, he said, you know, it's not a king to compete in uh building projects and things like that the kind of king you ought to be is like your father who is generous to the orphan and the widow and things like that so that might be an indication that Josiah to some extent fulfilled that role in that sense yes Andrew
2: I think it's interesting in verse 16 how God says not only to enough for the king to not multiply horses but also not to return to the Egypt for the sake of multiplying horses And of course, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and that just got me thinking about how you know we as Christians, God has called us out of sin and out of slavery, and no matter what glamour or whatever thing that might entice us to go back to that sin, we should never go back there for any reason whatsoever.
1: And who did the Israelites always want to turn to? Didn't make much sense. Great point, Andrew. That's exactly right. You know, you might reflect a little bit on how as individuals we need to have a closer tie to the the word, to the law. And, you know, I know people who who do just write out the Bible, you know, write out a book by hand. One of the good things about that is it forces you to think about and look at every word. You know, we treasure God's words. We think about them one by one. We focus on each one. We value each one. It's God's message. Wouldn't be a bad idea for us to write out the message. Wouldn't be a bad idea for us to memorize some passages. Certainly, a good idea for us to take books of the Bible, and just read them over and over and over and over and over again, and just really think about them and understand them and learn them and put them in our heart. All those things are very important things for us. Other thoughts. Okay, um, chapter 18, we come to the priest of the Levites, uh, chapter 18 verses 1 to 8.